There's a small town in Finland, located just west of the country's capital city of Helsinki. This small town is known as Espoo. The town has been a growing metropolis since the end of World War I, and by the 1960s it was thriving, but still somehow maintained that small town feel. And that is precisely why a group of four teenagers felt comfortable pitching a tent on the shores of Lake Bodum. But a night that started out as fun and leisurely quickly turned into a cold-blooded massacre. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Finland is known as the land of the midnight sun. That's because the majority of the year the country is bathed in these cold arctic winters, but for a few months out of the year it is daylight almost 24-7. Depending on where you are in the country will determine the length of each season of course, but for the most part the pattern is the same. Darkness for months on end followed by amazing but short brightly lit summers. In the evening the sun does not fully set. Instead, it rotates around on the horizon, hidden just out of sight, as if it were a never-ending sunrise. The light is different from daylight, though, and it shines a bright red-yellowish hue on everything, seeming as though the day never ends, but instead just rolls over into the next one. This is the perfect time to seize the day. 18-year-olds Seppo Boisman and Nils Gustafsson and their 15-year-old girlfriends don't think too much about the age gap, it was the 60s after all, Tuliki Maki and Ermeli Bajorkland had decided on a little lover's retreat on the Saren shores of Lake Bodum. They packed just the necessities and of course a few drinks, along with a single tent, strapped it all on the back of the men's motorcycles, and headed off for what they were hoping for would be a quiet weekend. You know? But they're on this show, so it's probably... Probably not going to work out. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. During the summer season in Finland, the sun tends to stay up till around 10, 10.30 p.m. So the couple had been out on the lake until around 11 when they decided to finally retire to the tent. But around 2 a.m., the guys couldn't sleep and decided to go out on the lake and fish for a while until they both tired out. Again, it was not too dark to do this. They returned to the tent about an hour later and quickly fell asleep. Then around 6 a.m., two younger boys who were bird-watching, again, 1960s, noticed a collapsed tent off in the distance and thought about approaching the tent but saw a tall blonde man get up and walk around the campsite. The boys had just assumed the man was drunk from what was probably a lakeside party. Nothing unusual, and they decided to avoid the area altogether. But then around 11 a.m., a local man had been at the lake getting a cold morning swim in and noticed the collapsed tent also. So he decided to go over and check it out. But when he did, the image haunted him forever. The man had stumbled upon what looked like four dead bodies. He ran to alert the police, and when they arrived, they found that Nils Gustafsson was still alive. He was taken to the local hospital immediately. When he was found, Niels had a slash across his face so deep it exposed his teeth, several broken facial bones, and a head wound that caused leaking of cerebral fluid. But somehow, he survived the attack. His friends, however, were not so lucky. According to Gustafsson, the attack started from the outside of the tent, 
Whoever it was just started slashing and swinging with no regard to who was in the tent or what was going on. When the attack started, Neil stumbled out of the tent but was almost immediately knocked unconscious. He believes the killer thought he was dead and so turned and started attacking the rest of the group. Neil's girlfriend, Armelli Bajorkland, had suffered the worst of the attack. She was found partially on top of the collapsed tent, undressed from the waist down. I found no information saying whether or not she was sexually assaulted, but then again, it was the 1960s, and they may have not made that info public, or even checked it at all, because there was some shitty police work done on this one. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Seppo and his girlfriend, Deliki Maki, were still in the tent beside each other, and had been killed with, I guess you could say, less brutality. All four of the teens had suffered multiple stab wounds, and blunt force trauma. It is assumed that the murder weapons were a knife of some kind and possibly a rock that was picked up in the area, but neither of the murder weapons have been found. Several of the group's belongings were missing, including the keys to the motorcycles, although the bikes were left untouched. Their wallets and several clothing items have also never been recovered. A few items were found spread out in the surrounding area. They were pretty easy to spot as they were covered in blood including Neil's shoes, which were found somewhere between a mile and a mile and a half, depending on which source you read, but they were tucked behind a rock and covered in blood. When Nils Gustafsson was questioned, he remembered very little about the attack, as he had been knocked unconscious early on. So when police arrived, they seemed to have screwed up from the beginning. They failed to rope off the crime scene area. They allowed press, witnesses, and bystanders to contaminate the scene and very little of what was collected that day was actually filed properly, so it was lost or just not collected at all. In an attempt to make up for this, the local police enlist the help of a group of soldiers to search for the missing belongings, but end up just further contaminating and trampling and destroying the crime scene. It was an absolute mess, and it started the police out with a very weak foundation to build a case on. But, I guess you could say, luckily... For them, the woods were filled with crazed psychopaths to choose from. No joke, when they were searching the woods and local areas, they actually ended up uncovering over 80 wanted criminals that were hiding out in the area. The search helped clean up the streets north of Helsinki, but the town was still left wondering if they actually caught the Lake Bodum killer. So, of these criminals scooped up in this little search, who are the standouts, right? Who are the top prospects? Let's go through them. Here's the lineup, if you will. The only description Nils could give was of a blonde, blonde man about 5'8", 5'10", wide cheekbones. Okay? And in Finland, that ain't narrowing it down where the shit. That matched about 80% of the current population. So police were like, uh, appreciate it. So... The first person to come under suspicion, though, was a man named Penti Soininen. I hope I am not butchering these names. I am doing my very best, y'all. So while in prison, he confessed to his cellmate that he was responsible for the gruesome scene. Soininen did live near the campsite at the time of the murders. However, he was only 14 at the time when they occurred. Although not impossible, but it is highly unlikely that he was able to overpower a group of teens bigger than him all at the same time. Remember, even the girls were 15. The boys were both 18 years old. I don't think he's overpowering uh, four people in a tent with a knife and a rock. 
I just don't think that's happening. But possibly. Um, but Soinen went on to commit suicide by hanging himself on June 6th, 1969, which was the ninth anniversary of the killings. But police do not think Soinen was responsible, as he suffered from mental illness. Now, there was another gentleman, a man known locally as Kiosk Man. You know why? Because he had a kiosk. Yeah, super clever. But his real name was Carl Valdemar Gilstrom. And he was known by the locals as a bit of a madman. A nice enough guy, I guess. As far as nice enough, I don't even know what the hell that means. But he liked, he liked to sit on the corner selling his goods. You know, the usual, like uh, apples with razor blades, hand grenades and pineapples, or needles and nectarines. Okay, okay, okay. I made up the last two. But you get it. The apples with razor blade shit, that's real. All to deter stealing, of course. And his favorite hobby, let's not forget about that, throwing rocks at small children and campers. No joke. But nice enough guy, right? Can you imagine this guy's online dating profile? Uh, yeah, I enjoy uh, gardening, weaponry, throwing rocks at small children. I mean, what a catch, right? <laughs> so anyway, neighbors quickly suspected him and rumors flew. But it was not until Gilstrom, in a drunken stupor, told his neighbor all about how he had killed those teens down by the lake that police really started to look into him. He was known to loathe campers, cursing and screaming at them to get out, even going as far as cutting the guy's ropes. You know, the ropes used to hold up the tents and whatnot, just like the one the campers were found in, you know, cut and destroyed. He was also known for being violent, especially if he was drunk, which was almost always. And he was known to beat his wife and child. So when a witness said they saw Gilstrom filling a deep well in his backyard, you'd think it would raise a few flags. But again, the Finnish police of the 1960s failed the public when they failed to follow up on this lead. And when questioned, Gilstrom's wife provides the police with an alibi, claiming he was home in bed all night. However, after his death, Gilstrom's wife retracted her statement, saying that her husband had threatened to kill her if she did not tell the police he was at home. Several other witnesses came forward after his death with more claims that he had threatened them as well if they didn't lie to the police. Given his violent tendencies toward campers, it is a very viable conclusion to say Gilstrom was a strong candidate. However, we may never know. Now, during the drunken confession to his neighbor, Gilstrom asked him what he should do if he was responsible, and the neighbor replied, you should drown yourself in the lake because you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. And allegedly, just after that, Mr. Gilstrom marched down to the shores of the very same lake and threw himself in. He drowned on June 6, 1969, on the ninth anniversary of the murders. Suspicious timing. Also, I don't know if you guys were paying attention, because sometimes you don't be. You be at work, you know, doing your work, getting your priorities. In. I'm just kidding. But the guy that I just talked about before, this gentleman, Soinen, he allegedly killed himself on the anniversary as well. And so they linked his suicide to the murders. I know I found that somewhere because I put it in the timeline and I was just now going back and looking. I actually stopped the recording because I was like, wait a minute, did both of these guys... And it is rumored that he did as well, because somehow they tied his suicide to the Lake Boda murders as well. 
they both died on the same day, allegedly, or at least very close to the same time. But Gilstrom absolutely did walk into Lake Bodum and drowned on the anniversary of the killings. So, God, if that ain't suspicious timing, right? But we're not closing the case just yet, guys, okay? We are not done with this ride. Hold on to your hats, because there was another suspect. And in my opinion, definitely the most interesting. He was a German man named Haas Osman. Pronounce, I mean, it's spelled ass man, but I'm going to call it Osman and be mature this podcast because, nope, I'm not, I mean, I'm not even going to drop to the level of calling him ass man. I'm just not going to do it, okay? I really want to, but I'm not going to do it. Haas Osman, okay? A former Nazi who was suspected to have been at Auschwitz during World War II. But to be fair, that is an assumption made about most of the Germans outside of Germany in the 1960s and in the middle of the Cold War era, no less. Not to mention, the sting of Hitler's reign is pretty fresh in people's minds still. Can't really blame them. So for a German man living in Finland, accusations of being a Nazi or a KGB, KGB spy are a daily happenstance. It was proven after his death, though, that he was part of Luftwaffe, a German aerial warfare branch. So many believe that the KGB recruitment is very possible. But police had a real reason to suspect Mr. Osman. In the early morning hours of June 6, 1960, the day the teens were attacked, Hans showed up at a nearby hospital covered in, quote, a red substance. He claimed he had been painting and just tumbled over and spilled paint, injuring himself and also his hands and fingernails had dirt on him too because I guess he was painting outside. I have no idea. With all red. His injury was unknown to the doctors and when they tried to examine him, he pretended to pass out. So the doctors couldn't even find what was wrong with him. He acted erratic and abusive towards them. The doctor that saw him that night would later write a book where he talks about Osman and how he believes that he is indeed the Lake Boda murderer. Another very odd thing is his resemblance to the sketch that was drawn up using witness statements about the blonde man seen near the tent that morning. It looks like someone tried to actually draw Hans Osman. I mean Osman. Damn it. I couldn't make it through. It's a striking resemblance though. Seriously. The police did come in to interrogate Osman, but failed to collect his red-stained clothes or take any kind of evidence. Why? Well, because Osman gave them a solid alibi, that's why. <laughs> totally cleared his name right up. What was it? Well, let me tell you. Well, when the Finnish police were asked, they said, it is of such a sensitive nature that they cannot share that information. So, Osman was a KGB spy? That's crazy, right? He had to be, to have enough influence to just walk away, even though he was covered in blood on the morning of the murders. Well, maybe. His alibi was made in court, and it turns out Mr. Osman was actually staying at his mistress's apartment in Helsinki, and her landlord provided an alibi saying that she had woken up at 6 a.m. She then woke them around 9 a.m. after she had made breakfast. So unless he snuck out, unheard, killed the kids quickly, then went to a hospital and returned to the apartment and snuck in without the landlord hearing, like, I don't know, maybe a spy could do, then it definitely wasn't him, right? The police took Osman at his word, and he was never arrested or really ever investigated. Then a year before his death, 
He allegedly confessed to a fellow veteran and a former police inspector that he had served as a guard in Auschwitz, but lost his faith in Nazism after falling in love with a Jewish girl. He was sent to serve on the East Front after that and was captured by the Soviets where he was given the options of death or espionage. He made his choice and was sent to Finland and then later Sweden. Osman died in 1998 in Sweden, and he left a trail of as puzzling as he was. The officer who heard his confession believes he may be responsible for up to five more murders, and he was linked to two of those cases, but died before any legal actions were taken. But don't worry, even with all these liable suspects just dying without ever really being checked out, the police were finally able to make an arrest anyways. Ha, oh, thank God. After 44 years, Finnish police arrested survivor Nils Gustafsson. That's right. In March of 2004. That's right. 44 years of searching. Police had finally nailed down a theory and were ready to take it to court. They based a very badly executed prosecution on very weak evidence. This is all my opinion, of course. And made up a motive. They claim new DNA evidence showed that the Gustafsson's shoes were found a mile away from the murder scene, and they were covered in everyone's blood but his. Okay, so here's the theory the police presented in court to explain this newly exposed evidence. According to them, Niels had made unwanted advances at his new girlfriend, Bajorkland, and she rejected him. And when things got a little heated, then Seppo, the other boy, stepped in. The group kicked Niels out in hopes that he would calm down and come back when he had a clear head. But instead, Niels took Seppo, stepping in as an insult, and thought he was trying to get between him and his new girlfriend. So Niels and Seppo get into a physical altercation, and Niels is struck, causing some of the injuries to his face. Niels sits outside the tent, plotting his revenge, all mad and shit. And when the group is asleep, he attacks them, killing all three of them in a surprise attack. He then hides the belongings and murder weapons so they are never found. He hikes a mile down the road, takes his shoes off, retraces his footsteps, then proceeds to self-inflict his injuries. He then lies on the ground and pretends to be unconscious until help arrived. Not exactly a solid theory. Mainly because of the extent of Nils' injuries. His injuries were more severe than just an altercation, as his defense team was able to prove in court, and Nils was clear to the crime and granted 44,000 euros for his wrongful imprisonment. Now, hold on just a, just a goddamn second right there, right? But what about the shoes, though? Okay, he didn't do it. How did his, his shoes, only his shoes, get a mile away with everyone else's blood on them? Hidden. Why were they hidden? Now, that is something to think about. Right? That kind of just occurred to me. Uh, it's not, I, I kind of see how they got enough evidence to do this. He was the only survivor. His slashes were superficial. Um, I mean, the one on his face said he was exposing his teeth. Um, but I think if you're going to do something, I feel like that'd be the best way to do it. Maybe the dude, like the Joker, I don't know, 1960s, was Batman even around? It's a stupid theory, Michael. That's It's stupid. But... It is weird that everyone else's blood was on his shoes and then they were so far away. How did they get there? Why would the criminal why would a criminal take his shoes as well? Or maybe whoever did it was trying to frame him. Possibly. Possibly. Didn't court after 44 years of living as a survivor 
and watch as the tent his friends were slain in was set back up. Photos of their bodies were shown on repeat in the courtroom. He had to sit and listen as they painted him as an angry, soulless monster who snapped and delivered an overkill of revenge for such a petty insult. And they made up for it with less than 45,000 euros. Way to go, guys. He attempted to sue several media outlets for defamation after his name had been dragged through the mud, but the courts made the decision to block him from doing so. And here we are today, now 60 years later, and still no conclusion. The murderer seems to have slipped away, and the Lake Boda murders remain one of Finland's most mysterious, unsolved cases. So what do you think, guys? I don't think it's the spy. I really don't. I'm not thinking it's the spy this time. Uh, typically, I'd be like, yeah, I'm super sus of the spy, right? Obviously, he's a fucking spy. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about ass man, right? If I absolutely have to make a decision, backs against the wall, gun to the head, who am I picking? I'm picking kiosk guy, right? He's a fucking ticking time bomb. He's a goddamn kiosk guy. He was trying to sell apples with razor blades in them. What the fuck? This guy threw rocks at small children. The articles, everything I said, everything I read, it said small children. Like, how terrible is that? You throw eggs at little annoying-ass teenagers that are probably trying to steal off your cart or whatever. That's one thing, right? But small children? Come on, man. This dude's a piece of shit. Right? Kiosk guy. I'm, I'm sus of the kiosk guy. He's also the guy that drowned himself on the anniversary. Is that not strange enough? I mean, the dude was super violent, hated campers. Maybe this just was the last straw. He's like, God damn it, this is the last fucking campers I'm ever going to see out here. Right? And maybe he really liked that guy's shoes, so he was going to come back and get them later and didn't work out. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. All right, guys. Uh, so that's the Lake Boda murders, which was an amazing Patreon suggestion from Jana B. Jana, thank you so much uh, for suggesting this case. You suggested it a little while back. Maybe you gave up hope. Hey, I told you. Just be patient. I'll get to it. Sent me an awesome message with a great article to this case saying, you want to go to Finland? And I was like, why the hell not? And y'all know my Patreon peeps get first priorities. Any of you patrons, if you got cases that you think would be great for Strange and Unexplained, Send me a message on Patreon. I do not take those lightly. That is the number one way to suggest a case to this podcast because you keep it rolling, right? Just makes sense. Just makes sense. I appreciate y'all so much. Um, that's patreon.com slash podcast. If you guys want to check it out for just three bucks a month, you get access to these episodes on Thursdays instead of waiting until Monday. And you also get access to another show I do called Strange Shorts. And new things are in the works for Patreon right now. New tiers, new rewards. I'm getting it mapped out, okay? So it's a, it's a long process. Once you throw that shit out there, it's out there, right? So I'm planning, I'm planning. Um, guys, unfortunately, there's no Lorne synopsis this week. I'm so sorry. I know, right? You just want me to play the song? I could just play the song. I could just play the beat in the background. Here, let me cue that up. So, Lorne is on vacation this week. That's why there's no synopsis. You know, come on, guys. You gotta give him a little bit of time off. He didn't even take any time off True Crime Guys. Okay? So, True Crime Guys will not miss any episodes. Uh, but it's we missed one measly synopsis. It's time for 
but he'll be back with me, you know, tomorrow on uh, Just the Banter on Patreon on True Crime Guys. Um, but I thought I'd let you guys jam to this for a second. Mm. Uh, turn it up. It's time. There we go. It's time to mourn synopsis. Not really because even the one this went to see the Grand. He went to see the Grand Canyon. Went to see the Grand. Went to see the Grand Canyon. It's time to mourn. It's time to mourn synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Break it down the case like car. All right, guys. All right, listen. I got to get back on track. I, you guys always be getting me sidetracked with stuff like this. You see what you do to me? I'm sitting here. I'm trying to do some housekeeping, trying to trying to grow my show and get some get some information out here and thank some valuable supporters. And you guys got me got me jamming to Lauren Synopsis. God damn, what an earworm. Oh, speaking of guys, um, the True Crime Guys Killer Mixtape. The, our very first True Crime Guys album, uh, based on themes from uh, the intros, themes from episodes that we've done on True Crime Guys over the years. I had quite a lot to pick from, um, but I asked some patrons on True Crime Guys, and maybe some of you gave some input. Um, but we have a 11-track album coming out July... I mean, I'm sorry, not July, June. June 18th. June 18th is a Friday party friday peeps i cannot wait for it to come out i'm so excited um i've worked so hard on this album i hope you guys like it um some songs are extended some songs are the same some songs are re-recorded um so there was just a, a lot of work that went into making this album and i'm so excited to share it with you guys i hope you like it so true crime guys a killer mixtape um will be coming out june 18th so all right. So I want to thank everyone. I mentioned Patreon very quickly earlier. I want to thank everyone who is a patron of this podcast. You guys have no idea what that support means to me. Uh, jumping on this early still. I mean, the podcast is a little over a year old and we ain't slowing down no time soon. But at the same time, still early and I appreciate the support. Uh, I had three new patrons jump on in the last week. I want to give a big shout out to James Harrington, Allie Enright, and Megan Hills. Thank you guys so much for jumping on Patreon at the $3 and the $5 tiers. Um, at the $5 tier, you guys will get access to Strange Shorts every Monday, as I talked about before, early releases to um, free episodes, as well as Sandu Stories. Remember last week, guys, with Sandu Stories Chapter 3, that is the last free Sandu Stories that will be available. So if you enjoy that old-time radio feel, that that uh, scripted audio book murder mystery type thing I got going on over there, that little melting pot of whatever the hell. That that show's definitely going to evolve. So I'm, I'm kind of excited as well to see what what inspiration I have for Sandu Stories. Um, so Sandu Stories Chapter 4 will be on Patreon only, and that will come out next month as well. So big shout out to those patrons. Thank you guys so much. Also, if you have taken the time to leave a review for Strange and Unexplained, wherever and however you can, it is greatly appreciated. I wanted to give a big shout out to a new reviewer in the UK, uh, Sammy Kupski. Sammy Kupski. I love that name, actually. I, I just, oh gosh, if I get another animal, totally naming it Sammy Kupski. Who knows what kind of crazy nicknames I'm going to come up with that, you know? Because you ever notice like you name an animal or a pet? And then it's already a weird name, right? Because you want your pet to have a strange name. Well, I don't know. Some people just like them to have regular names, but kind of a strange name. And then you make these pet names 
no pun intended, off of that name, and your pet has like eight names. Imagine if your pet's name was Sammy Koopsky. How many pet names could you come up with that? Okay, I'm getting way off track. But Sammy says, love all your content, fellas. Lauren's synopsis jingle lives in my head rent-free. Thanks for all the laughs you guys bring, and a big up yourselves from London. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. We appreciate that very much. Um, so yeah, guys, anywhere you can go leave a review, it is greatly appreciated. It does help the show. Tell your friends. Uh, subscribe. Uh, check it, check out True Crime Guys on YouTube. Strange and Unexplained will be up there shortly, okay? I'm trying to get the back catalog of True Crime Guys up on YouTube for now. Um, a lot of our content has been on YouTube in the past, and it's uh, just been content that's been posted by other people. So we kind of wanted to have our own official channel and stop just giving our creative works away. Right? Doesn't that make sense? But anyways, check out the True Crime Guys channel. You'll see the True Crime Guys new TV logo, the teal and orange, will be up there and it'll say the official channel of True Crime Guys. If you ever need to find anything, check out the True Crime Guys link tree, which is on Instagram, True Crime Guys Instagram, at True Crime Guys, and on Twitter, at True Crime Guys. It's all there. Everything under the link tree. Everything you need in TCG Productions. All right, guys, including merch, Patreon for True Crime Guys, everything that is us. Did I, did I say that? Did I say everything? Because does that, I mean, do you guys understand? With that, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right, guys. As always, I appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening. And uh, I'll see you guys next week for another strange and unexplained case. So uh, until then, be strange. Just don't be strangers.